That is a, a beautiful hymn. It is actually the, um, I don't know if it's the official, but I, I think it's the official hymn at um, Asbury Theological Seminary where I've been doing um, my, my doctoral work. And uh, it's, it's great, but if you don't know it, it throws you off. I know it does. And, and one of the things I love, you know, projectors are great because it gets our heads up. And, you know, we can sing out a lot of times, but, but you know, if you don't read music or one of the losses we have by not having a hymnal in front of us is, you're like, how's this go? <laughs> so, so I know it's a little tricky. We ought to sing that one more often. It's a beautiful, beautiful um, hymn, but, yeah, it can, uh, it can throw you off a little bit. I, um, I was joking with John this morning. I always, always said that. I always rebelled. Personally, or I shouldn't say always, but a few years I kind of rebelled um, fashion, if you will, in a fashion sense. From There, there was a, a movement, and there still is in, in churches, especially... <laughs> what I say? Fa- fashion? Yeah, exactly. I'm getting somewhere. Don't laugh. They're laughing because I said fashion. Um, that a lot of pastors, especially young pastors, got into the kind of the jeans and the untucked look. That became the the popular thing. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that because everybody's doing that and I don't want to try to look like I'm trying to be cool like everybody else. Except today. (laughs) I dressed for the outside, but John and I were laughing because I've always said I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to be my look. And then here I am, dressed in jeans and an untucked shirt. Um, but because we're going to be outside later, I thought it would be a little better to dress for that, uh, that kind of a service. But we, um, we do celebrate a lot today and very, very thankful um, for what God uh, is doing. And that um, kind of was what we always wanted this Sunday when it began to, to become a vision for us, what we wanted it to be about. And, and as we start, I want to turn to this um, Scripture, our, our foundational scripture, if you will, this morning, uh, in the Gospel of Mark. It's just a few verses. And it's interesting, in, in the four Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each tell the story of Jesus uh, from unique perspectives and with, uh, with different emphasis. The Gospel of John is a very spiritual gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The language, the spirituality is, is, is different than the others. They're all spiritual, but it's, it's unique. Matthew is a gospel that is written for a Jewish uh, audience. It was written for the early Christians that came out of a Jewish tradition because there's a lot of references, if you read Matthew, a lot of references to the Old Testament traditions, which the 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 Jewish community of that day and even today would have connected to. They would have made that connection. So, so that's the flavor of Matthew. And, and Luke is more of a Gentile gospel. Luke is that emphasis always on that outgoing mission of the church and that mission of Christ and his people beyond the Jewish community, which is why the writer of Luke is also the writer of Acts, which ties those two together because it is that outward focus. That's the unique. So each of those. Mark is the get-right-to-the-point gospel. That's, that's Mark. Mark is, um, you know, tell the story in as few words as possible so you get the gist and move on. And, and so when I, I share that with you, because that's kind of what we get here in Mark chapter 10. We get a really get straight to the point. 
You know, not a lot of flowery language, and we tell you what happened. And so let's read the story, Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 46. It says, Then they came, that's Jesus and his followers, they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for your invitation to us, your call to us, your question to us. Help us to hear, to see, to receive your word as it challenges our answer and what we desire of you. Speak to us now. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. So let me give you a little backstory on how this Sunday came about. Somewhere the beginning of the fall, end of the summer last year, uh, the leadership team started talking about a way to, um, to celebrate and to thank our volunteers here at the church. How do we say thank you to, to the folks like you who give of their time to step into gaps and to meet needs and, and to serve Christ? And, and so we started to talk about um, kind of a volunteer appreciation meal or some sort of a gathering um, similar to what the, uh, the thrift store does and will be doing in a few weeks for all of you who volunteer at the annex or the cottage. And um, so we started to talk about doing something like that. But we soon realized there was a, kind of a wonderful problem in that. And, um, and that was scope. Let me explain a little bit of what I mean. Let me ask you by show of hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. But I'm going to run through a few things by show of hand. How many of you volunteer at any, either of our thrift stores? How many thrift store volunteers? All right. Yeah, a lot of hands up. Okay. Those are the thrift store volunteers. All right. Let me ask you this. How about our, our food outreach ministries? That's our pantry. That's our hot meal. That's our pack-a-sack. Um, that's shopping. How many, of you, how many of you are part of those ministries? All right. Another handful of hands that go up. Um, Stephen Ministers, Stephen Ministers, raise your hand. All right, a few Stephen Ministers in this service. All right, how about this? Christian education, Sunday school, nursery, adult leaders, those of you that lead small groups, how many of you are part of those ministries? All right, a lot of folks behind me. All right. Um, how about our music ministry? Who's involved in our music ministry? They're all volunteers. And let me, can, you know, can I stop for a second? Let me, let me stop with that with, with the choir. Um, there, there's a, a danger sometimes I run into that, that we, uh, we take for granted things. I, I fall into this trap all the time. One of the things that I, uh, 
that I learned very early when I came here, which was a wonderful gift, is I knew, and, and I say this sincerely, there's never a Sunday, never a Sunday that I come into worship and I'm worried about the choir. Or I'm worried about, in this, well, I worry about them individually. There's a lot of them I worry about. <laughs> but collectively, and what I mean by that is, is I, um, I always know that they've worked hard, that whatever offering they bring in music is going to be the best of, of their talents and their gifts. It's going to be quality. And quality matters, that we bring the best that we have. Now, I know musically there, there may be different weeks that, that any of us identify different with the music, but I always know it's going to be wonderful. And, 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 and I say that because there's a risk in taking that for granted. I'm sitting there this morning, and that song you sang was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And I'm just reminded of how much work they put into this. How blessed we are to have Kim and this group of folks and others that are part of this ministry. So, so thank you. Thank you. And so we have these volunteers and others that are part of our, of our uh, music ministry. How about our events team, special events? Um, the um, concerts or movie nights or living nativity. How many of you are part of those ministries? All right. Again, there they all go behind me. <laughs> that, that was part of the issue. And then um, Sunday morning, how many of you volunteer? Usher, greet, help out in any way? Yeah, do some of that. Uh, blankets, how many of you blanket makers for that ministry? Um, you're getting the point. What am I forgetting? What am I forgetting? <laughs> Vacation Bible School, Children's Ministry Team, right. Vacation Bible School. I should have included that with that. What else? What else? Ladies' tea, okay, that's a special event. Ladies' tea, communion, right, those who help with communion. What, what I want you to get a sense, and I know you can't because you're not looking out, is we realized when we started to do this that we could have as many as 400 volunteers that we were, we were doing a meal for, which is a great thing, and that's not a reason not to do it. But we realized basically we were kind of doing a, a celebration about three-fourths of the church, Okay. And so it started to change a little bit. We still wanted to do that, but we realized that it was becoming more about celebrating what, what God is doing through us and celebrating what we're able to do and still thanking. And we're going to do that very same thing outside later of thanking all of you who are part of it, whether it's you know um, once or twice a year for special events or it's something you're part of weekly, everything matters. It all adds up. And, and so we started to talk about how to celebrate that. And then I did something that I should know better. <laughs> I like how you laugh before you even know what I did. <laughs> but I had seen, I'd been reading Joyce and Ron Hubble. Uh, many of you know, they, they go to, um, to Ginghamsburg uh, Church in Ohio in the, uh, in the summer. And um, Joyce is always forwarding me like their newsletter and things they're doing. It's a wonderful resource I use. And, and I'd been reading about them having done a service on the lawn last fall. And I thought, that's kind of a neat idea. We've got a lot of space out there. And so in a leadership meeting, I had no intention of suggesting we do one yet. But I made a comment. I said, How, this might be something we'd want to think about doing someday. And they jumped on it. And they said, that's a great idea. And of course, because I have to hold myself to the same standard I hold you to, which is, 
If you come up to me, you know this. If you come up to me and you say, you know what, I have a great idea for a ministry. I'm going to say, wonderful. How can we help you do it? You know, we don't hand off. We, God called birds. And so um, my idea became my direction, you know, my focus. And so fortunately, while I'm not... I don't try to place myself above others. The reality is, here in the church, there is a, a staff structure, and I'm at the top of it. So I can hand my stuff off. <laughs> so I called John. I said, John, I got an idea for you. And, uh, and that's how it became an outside thing. But, but it became this celebration. And so then into all of that became the question, as it always is for me, what do, what do you want us to hear, Lord? What is it you want us to hear on this day as we, as we, as we recognize and celebrate who we, who we are and, and who you're calling us to be? In my study and my preparation and, and sometimes even just the random way in which um, God speaks, I, I ended up here at this verse, this story in Mark chapter 10. And at its surface, it is a very, very simple story. It's a very obvious story. Jesus is passing through Jericho, and in Jericho is a man who is blind. We know to be blind in the time of Jesus um, was a, a, um, a lifetime sentence, if you will, of poverty, of need. There was no opportunities. There was no assistance, and uh, uh, corporate assistance. Somebody who was blind and had that struggle would have to depend upon the, the, the help of family and, and the community. It, it was a life of poverty. So this blind man who's been confined to this reality knows Jesus is coming through. He's heard about what Jesus can do. So he does what any of us would do. He's trying to get Jesus' attention. I mean, if you know you have any kind of an affliction and somebody has a cure, you want it. And so Jesus is coming through and he basically just gets as obnoxious as he can. He gets loud, he screams, he yells, Son of David, Son of David. They try to keep him quiet, but he's not going to have any of it. And Jesus hears him. Jesus hears him, and he calls him over. And he asks him what I've described before as the most ridiculous question in all of the Gospels. He says, what do you want me to do? Now, is Jesus that oblivious? No, he's not. Jesus knows what he wants him to do. Jesus wants him to ask. Now there's, hear that. Jesus wants him to verbalize it. He wants him to come and, and make the request. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. It's a living embodiment of that. But he says, what do you want me to do? We all know. He knew what he wanted him to do. But it's the answer that really grabbed my attention. The blind man says, Rabbi, Teacher, I want to see. I want to see. Shouldn't that be our prayer? Shouldn't that be our prayer? Lord, we want to see. And that became the focus of my prayer, that became the focus of my thinking, that became the focus of my thoughts as we started to, to, to get ready for today. Lord, what do you want us to see? Not in a 
literal sense, but in a spiritual, in a figure sense. What, at this time, in the life of this, your church, what do we need to see? And my attention went in two directions. One is this. We need to see where we've been. We need to see intentionally where we have been. How many of you know when this church was chartered? Just show of hands. I'm not going to ask. How many of you know when this church was chartered? Just a few of you. Somebody tell me. Out loud. What year? 1893. And, they, and, and it started about 92. 1893. Just a few short years ago. This church came about 123 years ago. I'm going to read some names to you. Miss Ida Karn. Mr. and Mrs. John Parrish Sr. Mr. and Mrs. Frank Turner. Mr. and Mrs. Bob Turner. Mr. and Mrs. William H. Gillette. And Mrs. C.P. Parrish. Probably already given it away, but do you know who those people are? They are the 10 charter members of Oak Hill Methodist Church. Oak Hill Methodist Church. Because that's what this community was named. And then I think in 1899, the community had become parish. And the church became parish Methodist Church. Now, Parish United Methodist. That didn't happen until 68. Parish Methodist Church. And I believe for the first few years they were over there. Or, you know, I don't know if there's a road there, but they were on that side. And then I think Ida Karn donated the land that became the, the church over there. And thus began a story. Began a story. And we're a part of that story. And, and I've, I've taken upon myself to do the best I can in the years that I've been here to start to collect the history and the stories. And I have a folder, anything I can get my hands on that tells part of our story. And, and some of you were around in, or were here in 1993. I think all of you were around. But uh, we're here in 1993 when the church celebrated the centennial and they put together just part of the story from the years gone by. And, you know, this little country church and, and the, the faithful names of, of those who are part of, of the history and the ministry and the outreach and, and, the, and at times just holding it together and because they believed that what they were doing mattered. They believed that what they were doing made a difference. They believed that God was present and was calling them to continue to be bonded together in this unique community of faith. 123 years of story. We are part of that story. All of us are part of it. Whether you've been here for two weeks or whether you've been here for 40 years, you're part of it at different degrees. So am I. I'm privileged to be a part of that. I came in here last Sunday afternoon. Uh, after church, they had planned, and, and Phyllis Spangler, and we want to keep Phyllis and Dennis in our prayers as I shared with you the, the loss of, of their daughter Elizabeth just over a week ago. And they'd planned to gather some of the thrift store folks together to have a potluck supper uh, here at church and to just share the stories, to tell stories. And uh, because of the tragedy with Phyllis, there was some confusion as to whether it was still on. So there was only about 12 or 13 people that were here. They were sitting here, and I came in a little late, and I stood there. And um, Mary Jane Parrish was holding court. 
You know? You know what I mean? Yeah, you're all nodding your head. She was holding court. And, and really, most of us were, were the audience. And I don't say that uh, critically at all. It was wonderful. And I could just listen and hear the stories. I love to do that, to hear her talk about some of the experiences and some of the history of the church and, and the houses that are over there and some of the things that happened when the church was that facility, you know. And, and it was wonderful because I realized we're part of something significant and special. And so what do we want to see? We not only want to see the role that we're playing here today, we want to celebrate what, what God has been doing, and what God has done, and the names uh, the faithful names of those who have gone before us. We celebrate that today, and we should. We pray that in a hundred years, they're celebrating the same thing. What do we want to see? We want to see where we've been. But we also want to see where we're going. And that's a harder thing to see. Seen backwards, I don't, I don't want to say it's easy. It's not always easy. But it's history. It's story. It's what has happened. That's part of vision. But also part of vision is the ability to look forward through the eyes of faith and to see what is not yet but could be. And that's more difficult. I, uh, I got this picture a few years ago. Now, I'm going to hold it up. You're not going to be able to make this out. I understand that. Tony and I were, were away one week or weekend or for some, some time away, which we try to do. And we'd, uh, we were in Orlando, and we made our way uh, for the evening to, uh, to what used to be called Downtown Disney. It's now called Disney Springs. But it's st- restaurants and, and shops and things and, and, and Disney merchandise. And uh, we, we headed there, and we walked into a, a store, an art, one of the artworks, or one of the stores of artwork, and, and I saw this picture. And again, I'm going to describe it. I know you, you can't make this thing out very well. But it's a, um, it's a picture of really raw land, dirt and trees in the background. That's all it is, just dirt and trees. Superimposed on top of it, though, is a picture of Walt Disney and Cinderella's Castle. And it says vision, and it's a quote from Disney. It's kind of fun to do the impossible. But it spoke to me because it reminded me of something. In 1963, Walt Disney visited what was swampland. He saw something. He saw something that nobody else saw. You know how much he purchased an acre of land in Orlando in 1963? Anybody want to guess what an acre was going for? $180. For inflation, for inflation, that would be about $1,400. An acre. Until they found out Disney was buying it. Then it shot up to $80,000. He looked at something. And he saw not what was, but what could be. There's a a story in the Old Testament, in Numbers, chapter 13 and 14. You can go read it. When the Israelites are, are, and the Hebrew children are on their journey to the promised land. 
And they're there at the brink, the, the brink of, of Canaan, the land God had promised. And so Moses sends in, a, um, sends in spies, a surveillance team, if you will, 12 people, one from each of the tribes, to go and to scout the land and tell them what they see. And so 12 men kind of infiltrate Canaan. When they come back, Moses says, what would you see? And they all say, it is beautiful. It is more than we could imagine. It, has, it is flowing with milk and honey. It has wonderful um, crops and grains. It's more than we could dream. But a ton of them said, we can't go there. We can't go there because they are bigger than we are. They are stronger than we are. We will never, ever make it. Two men, two men said, wait a minute. Not only can we go, we have to go. We have to go. Two men, one by the name of Joshua and the other by the name of Caleb, said, we have to go. Because, Numbers 14, verse 9, the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. Twelve people that saw the exact same thing, ten of them said, we can't do it. It's too hard. It's too difficult. We're comfortable. Let's stay where we are. Let's not take the risk. And two that said, we have to, because it's right where God has called us. Sadly, the ten won the won the argument, and the people suffered for it. But Joshua and Caleb saw differently because they saw through the eyes of faith. They saw through the eyes of not what was, but what they knew could be because God was with them. They saw what God wanted them to see, and they were blessed for it. And they were the only two of those 12 that would inherit the promised land, that would be alive when the people would receive that very land that God had promised. What do you want me to do? Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. That has become my prayer this week. Lord, what do we need to see? What do we need to see so that we can see what Jesus sees? We are at a crossroads in the life of this church. And it's not the first time, and it won't be the last time, but this is our time. We've got decisions before us. What do we see? That's interesting. As I said, I was talking about the history of the church. In 1990, some of you are here, eight and a half acres were bought right here. The land we're on right now. When the church was worshiping over there. Susan, I know your family, I think, was part of selling every, every just about bit of this land. Eight and a half acres. You know how big the church was in 1990? About 100 people. About 100 people that worshiped. How many of you are here in 1990? There's a, okay, there's a good number of you. So you remember, I should get you up here to tell the story. And I don't remember how controversial it was. I don't know how divisive it was. It, it doesn't matter at this point. But they did it. They looked at raw land as a congregation of about 100 people and said, we need to buy that because God's going to do something. God's going to do something. And about six years later, this building was consecrated for worship. Three years later, the church was few hundred, I think about 300. 
They said, hey, there's six acres over there. Let's buy that. How many of you here were in 1999? I know it's the same most of you, a few of you. 1999, six acres of Orange Grove. If you've only been here for a couple years, you may not remember that was Orange Grove. And I'm guessing they didn't buy it because they wanted to be in the citrus business. I know we were for a while. Because they believed there was something. We're at the point where we're making decisions. And we're going to be. And we're going to be a part of this about what God dreams about for that. What God wants us to see. How do we, in a community that is changing, in a community that is growing, we, we sat in December, I want to tell you a little bit of what's been going on. In December, we sat in a committee meeting. When I say we, a, a few of us here in the church, uh, appointed by the leadership team, uh, sat in a, a meeting with district officials. We're part of the Gulf Coast District of the United Methodist Church. As United Methodists, we don't own this property, we don't own this land. This is a, held in trust by the church. And so we sat down and we shared with that committee what God has been doing, the growth of the church, the ministries of the church, but also of our community and the ways it's changing and bridges that are being built and roads that are being widened and communities that are going to come in. You know, I, I remember, and I've told you the story the first time I ever drove down Moccasin Wallow and I thought I was being exiled to nowhere, <laughs> you know. Okay, and it still feels that way, but it's not going to for much longer. And, and regardless of what our opinion of it is, that's what it's going to be. And that's the field God's called us to minister in. So we presented all of that. A few weeks ago, I got a document from the district superintendent with his signature that basically says, you are given permission, you are given the authority, you are given the right to begin to move forward to explore building. To explore building. Now, please know, there's no building plans right now. There's no commitment of resources. There is no, nothing from, it is just the first stage. And we're going to have some congregational meetings to share what this process looks like. So there's a lot of speculation that's been going in, because I've heard it. Some of you have brought it to me. We've heard you're doing. Okay, no, it's not going to be what I'm doing. It's going to be what we're doing. None of that. It's just the beginning stages of us beginning to ask God that question that I said, what do you see? Because the mistake I made early on is I started to think, what do we see? But that's not the right question. It's what does Christ see? When the blind man comes to Jesus, what he's basically saying is, I want to see the way you see. That's what he does. He says, I want to see the way you see. Now, that's a literal sense. He wants, like Jesus can see the faces around him, he wants to see the faces around him. Like Jesus can see the structures around him, he wants to see the structures around him. Like Jesus can see the, star, the sky and the birds, and they, he wants to see that. Well, we have that same kind of prayer. Jesus, what do you see? What were you doing in the hearts of men and women in 1990 when they bought eight and a half acres? What were you doing in the hearts of the church in 1999 when they bought six acres? What are you doing now? What do you see? What do you need us to be? Who you've called us to be so that we can make a difference in this community? That we can be who you want us to be? What do you see? What do you see? So we can see like Joshua and Caleb with the eyes of faith. That's our challenge. And we don't have all those answers, and we're going to be exploring them together. We're going to be answering those questions together. But as you leave today, Whenever you drive off, as you drive in and out, sometimes what I've done in the mornings 
in, in my time is, is probably not as much as I should, but I'll do what's called a prayer walk. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked just the perimeter of this property. And I've said, Lord, what is it you want to do with it? What is it you want to do with it? I'm challenging you to ask yourself that. Not what is I want them to do with it. We all have opinions. We do. And that's okay. That's okay. But I read through those, those surveys that we did uh, about a year or so ago. You remember those? A lot of you shared it, as you should have, exactly what your vision is. And I'm glad you did, and thank you for that. But I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you are going to be disappointed. Some of, because it's not about what you want. It's not about what I want. It's about what we discern God wants. That's going to be our challenge. What do you see? I'm excited for this time for us as we celebrate where we've been and what God has done. But we look forward to what God is doing. And what I'm challenging you to do is be in prayer for that. Be in prayer. That's the first step. And that's the foundational step. Lord, what do you want us to see? We want to see. Let that be our prayer as we celebrate where we've been and we look forward to where we're going. We're part of a wonderful story here. We're part of a, a moment in time with obedience and faith. Let's embrace the opportunity that God gives us. Let's see with the eyes of faith. Amen? All right, friends, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the invitation you give us. You invite us. What do you want me to do? Lord, help us to start with faith, to see what you see, and to be obedient, to be like Joshua and Caleb that don't see the obstacles but sees the opportunity, that step in faith and trust, not to withdraw in fear and caution. We want to see. Lord Jesus, help us to see. In your name we pray.